this handsome bloke? No, now you've set the bar too high. I'll never hit it. You know what? I just realized my notes are in backwards order from last service. So let me just fix that real quick. There we go. Hello. I noticed nobody sat in the first three rows. Is this a sign of things to come here? Oh, okay. Sorry. I meant center section. My bad. My bad. Hey, uh, if you don't know me, my name is Travis. I'm our... Uh, oh, goodness. Yes, that's so helpful. Thank you. <laughs> I was actually treasuring the... Like, there's a space here. Um, I'm just going to step back here. Um, my name is Travis. I'm our uh, student ministries and tech director here, um, and it is a privilege to be filling in for Brent today. Um, there's this thing I read about the other day. It's called the numbness of frequency. It's like when you're around something that's amazing over and over and over again, you sort of start to become unaware of how amazing it is. Um, and I think that's what we've gotten with Brent. Um, Brent uh, delivers phenomenal preaching. I think you guys probably all agree with me week in and week out, and he puts in the hard work and it's always stellar. So um, it is, yep, uh, it is uh, <laughs> It is a privilege to be on the, uh, the sta same stage as him, and uh, I hope to do him justice. Now, uh, if you didn't know, we've been in the middle of a sermon series that we're calling Love Like Jesus. And when, uh, when we set this up a few months ago and said, okay, this is what it's going to be for the summer, and Brent says, hey, Trav, I need you to preach uh, while I'm in sunny Mexico warming myself on a beach somewhere with a Mai Tai, and it's all very unfair. Um, he will be very brown when he comes back, I'm sure. Um, but when we planned this sermon series, he said the nice thing about a sermon series called Love Like Jesus is there's a lot of things that go under that umbrella. So you can kind of do just whatever you want and, and just make it fit with that. But I kind of have this, um, well, the cat's away, the mice will play thing. So instead of Love Like Jesus, we're going to talk about Hate Like God today. Um, it's, it's, that's, that's where we're going with it. So uh, real quick, um, who in here would say you hate reality television? Yeah? How many of you would say, no, 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 I love reality TV. Give me the honey boo-boo. Give me the storage wars, the hoarders. The... We got a few of those? Okay. Uh, how about Apple products? Who here hates Apple products? You say, give me an Android phone. Give me a BlackBerry like that dude. Uh, give me Windows, whatever. Okay, but what, who, who's in my camp, though? Who says, if it begins with I, I'm buying it, right? <laughs> iPhone, iPad, iMac, my iLife, I want it all. How about skinny jeans? Anybody in this room hate skinny jeans? Think they're silly? Don't judge me. These aren't too skinny today. How many of you are like me, though, and love skinny jeans, even though you can't really pull them off? And it is tricky to pull them off, too. They're really tight around the ankles. There's a double meaning there. What about ketchup? Anybody like me and hate ketchup? Okay, and who here loves ketchup and puts it on everything? Okay, uh, my wife sent me this article uh, from Thrillist. Uh, they do a lot of, like, food write-ups and stuff. Um, they wrote this about ketchup, and I just want to share this with you today. Ketchup is hands down the beastliest of all condiments, squashing beautiful flavors with the indiscriminate brutality of Ramsey Bolton. Little Game of Thrones reference there. It has no regard for harmony, no respect for the craft of cooking, the love and care that goes into preparing every subtle note, every delicate detail. And to add insult to injury, those who enjoy it tend to hose down their dinner plates like they're putting out a fire. <laughs> Slather ketchup on a cheeseburger, and it's practically impossible to spot the difference between Daniel Belude's $140 Royale double truffle burger and a day-old White Castle slider. 
The only thing worse than ordering a nice steak well done, asking for a side of ketchup with it. Did I win anybody over with that? Anybody switching? No? Okay. Well, it's worth a shot. So today we're going to talk about what God hates. We spent a lot of time talking about the love of Jesus and the things that God loves and the behavior that God loves. But today we're going to talk about some of the things that God hates. Uh, You know that it's important for us to know when we're in a relationship with somebody the things that they love and the things that they hate. And then we try to do the things that they love and we try to do the not to do the things that they hate. When Ashley, my wife, when she and I were first dating, uh, we did not have a single fight. We dated for about a year before we got engaged, and then just a few months uh, later we got married. Uh, But we did not have one single fight during that time. It was cloud nine, smooth sailing. It was awesome. And then we got married. (laughs) And I'll never forget, we were in our first apartment um, just over here on 164th. And I cooked us a spread. I mean, it was a good meal. I was really excited about it. I got the table all set, uh, like bottle of wine. It was the, the whole nine. And uh, we sit down to eat. And Ashley looks at me and goes, can you go close that, please? I had left the cupboard ajar, like one of the cupboard doors ajar, maybe like two, three inches. And she couldn't eat until that was closed. It drove me crazy. Our first fight. Um, <laughs> And then uh, later on, uh, she told me something else I do that she hates, which is we'll be in the middle of a conversation, and all of a sudden I get that vibration in my pocket, and I just stop, pull out the phone, respond to the text message, put it back, and then just pick up where I left off. And I didn't really see the problem with that. I wasn't, like, really stopping. It was just like an ellipsis right in the middle of our conversation. But apparently she hates that. So this is another thing that I'm trying to work on so I don't do the things that she hates, and I can do the things that she loves, like buying her flowers, cooking her dinner, stuff like that. Um, So I think the first question we need to address when we talk about the things that God hates is, does God hate things? I mean, when when we raise our kids, right? Like my son Judah, he's only three and he hasn't figured out how to really even talk about hate. He's never once said like, oh, I hate this or whatever. But I anticipate at some point him running up to me and saying, I hate my sister. She took my crayons and broke them. Or, you know, she's playing with my Legos and I want to play with them. And we'll have this conversation of, no, buddy, we don't, we don't say hate. We don't talk about that, you know. Or we, we can talk about this, but we need to figure out different verbiage to talk about this. So does God really hate stuff? The answer is Yes. Um, In Proverbs, we read about some of the things that God hates. This is, uh, the scripture will be on the screen behind me as well as it's in your notes. Uh, But this is Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. Say this, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. So I think we can safely establish there are a few things here that God hates. And you notice that when I start talking about these things that God hates, you all kind of sit up a little straighter, right? You all got to, okay, okay, I've got to get, you know, got to look good here. Why? Because we don't want to be on that list, right? We, if we don't want to be on Santa's naughty list, we certainly don't want to be on the behaviors or things that God hates list. In our relationships, when we do things that the person hates, it it creates a distance. And that distance that is created in that relationship breeds a sort of loneliness. And that's at the center of what we're going to be talking about today. Have you ever felt distant from God? Lots of things, lots of things can sort of happen in our lives that make us feel distant from God. Maybe it's the untimely death of a loved one. 
Or maybe you feel like you don't have any close relationships and you're working hard at it, you've joined connect groups, you're trying to like, make connections with people, but those relationships are, not, are just not being established. Maybe you're stuck in a dead-end job that you hate and you feel like you're doing all the right things for God, you're working hard, and it's just not going anywhere. Or maybe today at church, you're here and uh, during worship you look around and you see all these people singing and raising their hands up in the air and closing their eyes, and you just think, man, all these people are connected with God. Why can't I feel like that? Why can't I seem to figure out this connection with God thing? Uh, I came to Seattle nine years ago this summer. I moved out here from Chicago for a job um, that immediately fell apart. Uh, I only worked there about five weeks, and it was awful, and they ended up firing me, and it was a terrible situation. And I had this very expensive apartment in Queen Anne, um, and no job, no friends, no family, no church, no connections with anybody. I was utterly alone. I don't have to tell you that that is a time in my life where I felt exceptionally distant from God. So today, talking about what does God hate? God hates the loneliness we feel from the distance we create. God hates that feeling that's deep down inside of us that says something here is missing. That void, the gnawing emptiness at the pit of our core. How do, but the, the, the follow-up question to that then is, how do we create this distance? What are we doing that creates distance from God? We're going to look at two things today, although I bet there's a lot more than two. Uh, but the first one, our sin distances us from God. In Romans 3.23, we read uh, the Apostle Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned, every single one of us. Me, you, the person next to you. And just imagine in your head that the person next to you has probably sinned a lot more than you. That'll make you feel real nice. Uh, But here's the deal. God hates that loneliness inside of us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to die in our stead so that we can be, have our sins be atoned for and that we can be saved. Uh, you guys all know John 3.16. Everybody knows John 3.16. The verse afterwards, though, is equally as interesting. John 3.17 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God hates the loneliness inside, and our sin distances us from God. I've got two big fears in my life. The first one, being buried alive. Anybody with me? Terrifies me. If you've ever seen Kill Bill, there's this scene where she gets buried alive. Oh, man, I could barely watch it. Destroyed me. Second fear, intestinal parasites. Right? I mean, I'm not, like, so afraid of them that I'm not going to eat sushi or steak tartare, any of those delicious raw meats. But, like, if you haven't had it, try it. It's delicious. Uh, but I am, like, deathly afraid. I like, like, tapeworm. But you know how, like, when you have a big fear, how you kind of teeter on the edge of fear and curiosity? Like, you're afraid, if you're afraid of heights, you kind of want to go up to the edge of the cliff and just look a little bit and then, you know, get away from it. So in the same fashion, I've done research on a lot of different kinds of parasites. It's, I don't I'm weird. Uh, this little guy right here, this is an acorn weevil. It's not an intestinal parasite, but it's a parasite all the same. Acorn weevils are fascinating. 
this uh, little proboscis that comes out of their face here, they use it to actually like bore into an acorn, make this tiny little incision into an acorn, and they plant eggs inside the acorn and then go away. And then what happens is the acorn over time will heal itself. Okay, kind of just heals the hole over, and then the eggs hatch. And that's where it starts to get really gross. These little tiny baby weevils will start eating the inside of the acorn, and it will just get rotten and nasty on the inside, despite the fact that the outside still looks perfectly intact. It kind of reminds me of this one time that Jesus, uh, he's, he's talking to the Pharisees, and he calls them whitewashed tombs. It's like on the outside, everything is pretty. Everything's perfect. You wouldn't know anything's wrong. But on the inside, it's full of death and decay. Uh, It's described here in, um, this is, I think, a great way to describe this in James, uh, the first chapter, verse 15. It says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Hold your place there for a second. If we go back to Proverbs 6, where we talk about the things that God hates, that's our human nature, right? We have this natural bent, this inclination towards those things. So that's the desires, the desires that it's talking about here. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Death, decay, rot, just like the inside of the acorn, exactly what happens inside of our hearts when we're apart from God. The distance breeds loneliness, and the loneliness is what God hates. Our sin distances us from God. The second thing, the second way that we create distance from God is this. Our complacency distances us from God. Um, we, if you guys have, any of you in here have a teenager, your teenagers are awesome. Uh, we have so much fun with them um, upstairs on Sunday nights for youth group and when we do special events and retreats. And we did this really cool retreat uh, this past winter. We went to this place, I don't know, south and then turn left. <laughs> we went like to Olympia and then made a left. And that's, uh, anyway. We rented this really cool lodge, and we had a great time. And one of the games that we played uh, while we were there, I called Omelet in a Tube. And basically, you take that, um, you know, that flexible piping that you can use for plumbing projects, and you can get, like, a completely transparent version of that. So what we do is we got about a three, four-foot length of that, and then we put scrambled eggs and milk and a little bit of pepperoni and some other vegetables into the tube. And then you hold it up so it goes right to the middle. Then you give the tube to two kids, and they each take an end, okay? And you say, ready, set, go, and they start blowing. And you sitting there as a spectator, you're watching this egg mixture that's just disgusting, sliding around back and forth, and then eventually one of them, their lungs give out, right? They can't blow anymore, and they get a face full of scrambled eggs and all this other junk. It was awesome until one of the kids figured out, okay, so like they're here and I'm like just observing this back and forth. So one of the kids gets wise to it and right when he's about to give up goes like this. And it shoots all over me and I smelled like rotten. It was disgusting. And then that's where it wasn't fun anymore. That story really has no bearing on this sermon at all, but I just wanted to share, share it with you because it's a great story. But uh, on, that, on that retreat, we, we went through a little like mini sermon series called The Christian Atheist. And it's based on this book written by a guy named Craig Groeschel. Um, and the thesis of that book and of that little sermon series that we did on that retreat was, was essentially this. You believe in God, but you live your life as if he doesn't exist. It's like saying, I, I believe in God, I follow Jesus, But it just doesn't affect my practical, everyday living. 
Uh, there's this great theologian, his name is A.W. Tozer, and if you're looking for a cool book to read, I can't recommend enough his book called The Pursuit of God. And in that book, he says, one of the greatest foes of the Christian is religious complacency. Orthodox Christianity has fallen to its present lowest state from a lack of spiritual desire. Among the many who profess the Christian faith, scarcely one in a thousand reveals any passion, passionate thirst for God. Not only can our complacency put a distance between us and God, our complacency can put a distance between others and God. Brennan Manning, another great theologian, um, there was actually, if you listen to DC Talk, anybody listen to DC Talk back in the day? Okay, so DC Talk started one of their songs with this quote, and it says, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. The Bible has this to say about complacency. In Proverbs 1.32, we read, For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. It's harsh stuff, right? When we find ourselves becoming complacent, the Bible basically says we're fools, and it's going to kill us. So how does this, how does this work in our day-to-day lives, this is complacency? Well, I think it, it usually happens like this. We, we go on a retreat, or we go to a conference, or we hear this really moving message, or we listen to a great podcast, and we get on fire. We are all, Jesus, I am here 110%. I'm reading the Bible. I'm praying. We get that spiritual high moment. Um, and then Seahawk season starts. Okay. Seahawks season starts, and, and, and we say, God, I love you, and I want to I be committed to you, but, but, but maybe, maybe after the Super Bowl, okay? Talk, talk to me in February, and then we'll be good. Or maybe, maybe it goes a little like this, like, well, God, I, I love you, and I want to be, be all about you, but school's about to start up, and I've got kids, I've got to run them around, they've got soccer practice and piano lessons and all over the place, and between that and work, it's just, I'm just really busy. So I'll get back to you maybe in the summer sometime, God. When I was in eighth grade, my, one of my best friends, his name's Chad, um, he, he threw a party at his house. And we were kind of into the skateboarding punk rock scene at the time. Um, and so some of our friends started a band called Squad 64, and they were awful, but we loved it. Um, and they, uh, they were going to do a concert in Chad's basement for his birthday party. So we're all Christian guys, and, and before the concert started, we decided, you know what, let's just bless the night, have a little prayer. So we all joined up in a circle. We just kind of prayed as we felt led. Um, And we thought it was just going to be a couple of minutes and the band will play. And then we do normal eighth grade boy things at a birthday party. That quick minute of prayer turned into an hour and then two hours and then six hours. And then we were praying all through the night and we were making up worship songs and singing together. And it was one of the coolest moments of my life. And then girls happened, and then punk rock happened, and then our skateboarding happened and became more of a priority, and we became complacent. And our Bible studies that we had set up at school and our accountability groups and everything that we were doing, we were on fire for God, sort of just started to fall apart. What happens? We get distracted. We get pulled aside by something else. The distraction results in a complacency of relationship, which breeds a loneliness inside us. 
We know this, right? We know this, that our relationships require maintenance. When we become complacent within our relationships, they fall apart. I know that if I want to invest in my wife and in my kids, I cannot be complacent in those relationships or they will just crumble apart. And for those of you that would say you follow Christ, complacency can create a distance from God. So you might be asking, well, what's the real problem here, though? What's, what's the problem with a little complacency in my relationship with God? When we get distant from God and we get complacent, we start to see our sin a little bit differently. The things that used to disgust us and the things that we said we would never do, they don't seem to be that bad anymore. We almost, we, we befriend our sin. We walk up to it and we put an arm around it and we say, you know, you're all right. You're not as bad as I thought you were. Uh, What used to bother us doesn't bother us anymore. And we give it these little sugar-coated sayings. I hear this quite a bit in in Christian circles, right? We say things like, man, I screwed up last night. When the reality is, is, no, you didn't screw up. You went out and got drunk and you made some really stupid decisions. Or maybe you say, I'm just a worrier. It's just who I just worry. That's just who I am. No, no, you're just not trusting God to provide for you and to take care of you. Or maybe, I, I'm just having a tough time getting into the Word. It's just, it's not really working for me. No, no. The, the truth is, is that when you say that, you've got something in your life that you're saying is more important than God. Let's call it what it is. Or, uh, it's just a little innocent flirting at the office. It doesn't really mean anything. It's not going to go anywhere. When the reality is, no, you want her more than you want your wife, and you're spending way too much time with her. Or maybe you say, it's my only vice, and it's not that big a deal. Society thinks it's just fine, when maybe the reality is, is that you're looking for peace at the bottom of an ice cream container rather than looking to the Prince of Peace himself. When we hear our sin for what it actually is, it kind of grosses us out, right? It's garbage. It's icky. Think of the most extreme examples of the depravity in humanity. I think the first thing when I was writing this that popped out in my head was child sex trade workers. How did they get so far away from any semblance of what is right and what is good? I would bet that it started with complacency that became compromise, that just started to fall apart, and step by step by step, that's where they found themselves. Because nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I want to be an evil human being, right? It's just complacency. That's where it starts. We start to get comfortable with that sin. And that complacency gives way to a distance. The things we think, oh, I would never do that. I would never do that. We all of a sudden find ourselves right in the middle of it. Asking yourself, how did we get here? We get distracted. We get distant. We get complacent. And then we find ourselves lonely. With that emptiness, that gnawing inside of us, the void. And God hates the loneliness we feel from the distance we create. We need to see our sin for what it really is, because when we do, we realize that it's actually garbage. The Apostle Paul um, in Philippians 3.8 talks about this. this is, I think this is the perfect example. He says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. What's he saying? There's nothing better than a relationship with Jesus. Nothing. It all pales in comparison. He continues on. He says, For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ. We have to come to a place where we realize that this stuff is just garbage. And it creates a distance that breeds loneliness. And God hates the loneliness that we create. Have you ever felt distant from God? The answer is yes, I'm pretty sure. 
Every single one of us, at one time or another, feels distant from God. Me, you, Brent, any, any religious leader you look up to, absolutely. The good news, though, is today, if you feel that way, you're not alone. In Scripture, we see tons of examples of people talking about this perceived distance that they feel from God. David, uh, the writer of the Psalms, the guy that is called in the Bible a man after God's own heart, felt distant from God. In Psalm 10.1, David writes, Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Uh, the disciple Peter, he was like, he's a, one of the dudes that followed Jesus around, right? Peter was the disciple. Like, if you were going to say, like, which disciple do you want to be? It'd be a pretty good pick. This is the guy that walked on water. He went, he was up on the mountain during the transfiguration thing. It was super cool, right? Peter was right, he was Jesus' right-hand man. And at the Last Supper, Jesus is talking to Peter. He says, hey, Peter, by the way, um, later you're going to deny that you ever knew me three times. Peter, Peter's like, what? No way. I'm not doing that. I would never. And Jesus is like, yeah, it's going to happen. And then later on, sure enough, Peter's asked some questions. He ends up denying Jesus three different times. And in the book of Luke, when they're talking, when they tell this story, it's fascinating. It says, I, I didn't even know this, but it's a little different than the other gospels. It says that the Lord turned and looked at him right after he said that. So there's this, there's scholars that think basically what happened is that Jesus is being marched to his death. Peter is within earshot and says, and he's denying Jesus. And when Jesus hears this, he turns and their eyes lock. Can you imagine the distance he felt from Jesus in that moment? And Jesus, the son of God himself felt distant from God, if that was even possible. When he's hanging on the cross, one of the last things that he says is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you hear the loneliness, the anguish, that feeling of distance in those words? Here's what we need to understand today, though. Even when we feel distant from God, God is not distant from us. Even when you're distant from God, God is not distant from you, which is kind of one of those things that's like, I don't quite get it. Like, how can I be distant from God, but he's not? Like, there's a dis... Like, okay, so I've got a good illustration. Anybody like physics? You got physics nerds in the room? My people? Okay. So uh, there's, this, there's this thing called relativity, right? Where it's basically like, let's say I'm jogging down the road, okay? And here comes this car towards me. Well, rather than getting out of the way, for whatever reason, I decide I'm going to turn around and run away from the car. So let's say this car is coming at me at 30 miles an hour. I turn around and start running at 10 miles an hour. If I were to look over my shoulder, how quickly is the car bearing down on me? 20 miles an hour, right? So here's this interesting thing, though, is light, light doesn't obey this sort of rule. So there's these things called photons, which are basically particles of light that travel at 186,000 miles per second, okay? So if, let's say there's this particle of light coming towards me, and I see this particle of light, and for whatever reason, I decide I'm going to turn and try and run away from this particle of light, like you do, you know. Uh, and so I start running. Let's say I get 10 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour, 1,000 miles an hour, and I'm running this fast. No matter how fast I go, if I turn around and look, that particle of light will always be bearing down at me at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. There's no way to get around it. It's just like how we can be as distant as we can imagine from God, but God is never distant from us. Anyway, nerd moment over. 
It's like this. Where we, wherever we go, our highest highs, our lowest lows, God is still with us. God is there at our best, and God is there at our worst. We see this, uh, Paul talks about this in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. I love this passage. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, he kind of covers everything there, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It doesn't matter what you did last night. It doesn't matter what you're going to do tonight. It doesn't matter what you're going to do the night after. It, It doesn't matter what you do. There is nothing you can do or nothing you can leave undone that will separate you from the love of Jesus. Is God with you at your highest height? Yes. Is God with you at your lowest low moment? Yes. Is God with you when you've run away as far as you can possibly run? Yes. Is God with you in Walmart? Yes. You might not find any cashiers or standards of common decency, but God's there. (laughs) Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We feel distant from God, but God is not distant from us. God hates the loneliness we feel from the distance we create. Back to our friend, the acorn weevil. Uh, What happens when that rotten acorn falls from the tree and hits the ground? Nothing, right? It's, it's rotten. It's dead inside. It's decaying. But what happens when, the, when a good acorn that has life inside of it falls and hits the ground? Life. It's like an oak tree can grow from that. That's amazing. So what happens when we are full of death and decay and desires for the things that put distance between us and God? Death. But what happens when we realize that God so loved me that that, and he hated that lo- loneliness and that gnawing inside of me. But he loved me so much that he sent his son to die so that I can be made clean. And that my desires that were once bent towards the, uh, the, the things that God hates can begin to be renewed and restored. And I could begin to have a mind that thinks on the things that are good and noble and pure and right. And I can begin to have a different kind of life. Well, when that happens, you could say that that's life life happens. When we feel distant from God, we need to understand that God is not distant from us. What is it that God hates? God hates the loneliness we feel from the distance we create. Each week we um, put in your program on the back side of your notes, um, there's some next steps for you to take home, hang it on your mirror um, or whatever you want to do with it, uh, but they're also on the back side of your connect card. Maybe your next step today is to find somebody to talk to and share a time when you felt distant from God. What caused you to feel that way? Or maybe ask yourself the question, in what ways has God shown you that he is not distant from you? Or lastly, how might your complacency and sin be distracting you from God? What steps do you need to take to draw closer to him? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for uh, this church, these people, this space, uh, and the opportunity to come to meet with you, uh, to have you challenge our hearts. Um, God, I pray that you will help us to overcome our complacency and that you will help us to battle, uh, to fight with great strength against our sin. Um, But ultimately, that we know that 
no matter how far we feel we are from you, no matter how far we've run, no matter how complacent we've become, no matter the sin in our lives, you're right there. You're never distant from us. Thank you for this morning. Uh, Be with us the rest of the service and throughout the course of this next week. In Jesus' name, amen.